time. Recording in progress. <laughs> so we are on our recording. Thanks for joining us today, Maya. Can I just hand over to you at this point? Sure thing, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Really happy to be joining uh, the, the BC chapter here. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to give a presentation. I'll share my screen in a moment. Um, there's a lot of information there, and that's, par that's partly because I will be sharing the slide deck and you can sort of peruse at a deeper level with a little more time. Um, so if you find that I'm going through something too fast and you're really interested in an elaboration, uh, I'm happy to be interrupted. Um, just wanted to confirm we have the until noon, right? Um, and it's just me talking and questions after, right? Okay. So, <laughs> so yeah, feel free to, to interrupt. I might not be able to see though, as I'm sharing my screen, if you could raise your hand. Um, so either just unmute and stop me, or uh, if Will or, or Jessica, if you could kind of watch for. Uh, it depends on how much we need to buy. In the chat. Uh, so we'll just go ahead and share my screen. So let's bike, and then uh, if we buy things that are too heavy, then I'll pick them up when I get Gaia. Uh, I'm going to get Gaia at 3.30, so there's still time. So again, thanks so much for having me. As Will mentioned, I'm with Community Energy Association, uh, also here to make the link between BC Municipal Climate Leadership Council, or BCMCLC, and, and the BC Chapter of Climate Caucus. And there's a few BCMCLC members on the line, Carol Ann and, and Jessica, um, and, and lots of opportunity for collaboration between the two groups going forward. And that's, that's one of the reasons I'm here today, is just to uh, open even further open those kind of collaboration channels. Uh, I'm joining you from New Westminster. It's the unceded and unsurrendered uh, traditional lands of the Hokkaminum-speaking people, including the Kakaip First Nation. Uh, I'm fairly new to New West and, and learning a bit about the colonial history and present here uh, in, this, in this particular municipality. Um, and and yeah, always yeah, yeah. have that as top of mind as we talk about local government climate action and the way that that's showing up for me these days is, is really an interest in how local governments and indigenous nations can collaborate together on some shared climate goals and there's a lot happening in that space that I'm really excited about and a lot of leadership from indigenous okay. communities uh, that local governments can learn from. Uh, so just really briefly about CEA, uh, many of you I think are familiar with, with Community Energy Association, uh, but just just briefly we are uh, kind of old in the climate action landscape, uh, I think 27 years old uh, this year, um, started just uh, to recognize that local governments at the time, 90s really needed some support, mostly on energy at the time, climate action wasn't really the, the main language used. Of course, that's, that need has really evolved over the years. So we are a nonprofit organization. We're up to about, I think, 24 staff. Uh, just like that's actually a few months ago. We're now hired several more. We're rapidly growing, double in size during the pandemic. Uh, and we're located, uh, kind of distributed all across BC. Uh, we have ex expertise in uh, planning and research, coaching and, and networks, both at the staff and elected level, as well as helping local governments and indigenous communities implement collaboratively uh, climate action projects on the ground. Um, BC MCLC uh, is, is sort of a project of, of Community Energy Association. We've, we've helped start this group up over 10 years ago now. Um, and this is a, a, a group very much led by elected officials committed to climate leadership in their communities as well as to peer learning. Um, so sort of three main goals of, of providing that visible leadership at the local level, educating peers through uh, various sessions and workshops at like local government association meetings. So we were just at the Association of Vancouver Island and Coastal Communities last week. Sarah was there, Will was there, and others. So uh, those are the kinds of sort of education initiatives, as well as the Climate Leaders Institute, which I'll talk about shortly, um, and the Playbook, which I'll also talk about shortly. 
and then engaging primarily with the provincial government. So there's a, a long history of nonpartisan engagement with uh, various provincial governments over the years, um, really providing that, that local government leadership voice with the province. Uh, I called this presentation a bunch of stuff because uh, it couldn't land on just one thing to focus on and, and so there's a few things I'll, I'll talk about and will mention uh, some reflections on the Clean BC Roadmap, Budget 2022 and specific implications of those on government climate action, uh, a little bit of some musings on the decade of climate action that we're in right now and, and what uh, sort of is emerging ahead in the next few years, so, so some things to keep on your radar. And then I'll end with um, a quick snapshot of some of the BC Climate Leaders programming in the works, including the Climate Leaders Institute. And I'd really love to, to make some time for just getting your input on what kinds of programming you would like to see um, at CLI and, and, and other means as well. Uh, I want to point out three uh, reports or resources that CPA has put together relevant to today's conversation. Um, so one was last year and that was a, a survey of local governments um, that we completed in like two week window when the CARE grant was cancelled to really understand what the implications of that cancellation are. Um, and we submitted this report and shared it with the province with, with some recommendations on, on what they could do um, if they're replacing the program, in which they are, and I'll talk about that shortly as well. Uh, we also wrote a report, Mr. Executive Director, uh, wrote a report on uh, implications uh, for local governments about the roadmap. So a lot of the content I'll share shortly is, is from uh, these two uh, links. Um, here as well. So the, the roadmap implications and budget 22 implications. And again, I'll share these around and encourage you to have a look if you want to go deeper there. So onto the roadmap. Uh, this was released in the fall. They have a pathway approach. Um, as you can see here, several pathways. There's four of them that I think more than the rest really uh, intersect with local government climate action, although there are interesting commitments and policy proposals in all of them. And, and if you haven't yet done a scan of that, um, it might be worth doing for you. Uh, but I'll pull out a few tidbits from these four that I have circled here. Okay. Uh, so firstly, on transportation, uh, there is more of a, of a shift uh, in language towards active transportation, which is great, uh, as we are seeing that you know, yeah, EVs are an important part of the, the solution, and, and in many of our communities, you know, committing to somehow accelerating the adoption of electric mobility is a huge part of your big moves towards emissions reductions. The active transportation piece cannot be forgotten and should be at the foundation. So how do we first and foremost get folks out of single passenger vehicles? And now there was some chatter about that uh, before we got started, so definitely top of mind for you here. Um, but on the note of EVs, there's, there's quite a lot of emphasis on expanding EV charging networks, um, both the at the charging level and at the vehicle level as well and an enhancement of the low carbon fuel standard uh, which I'll, I'll say a few more words about shortly but could be an exciting new revenue source for local governments through the credits there uh, on the building side uh, there's they are working on a carbon pollution standard within the building code so previously there was a commitment to providing local governments with an opt-in regulation that local governments can choose to adopt to require emissions reduction in addition to energy reduction through the step code. Uh, the step code itself is just focused on energy efficiency and local governments have been looking for some practical ways to, to really affect the, the carbon emissions within the new building stock. So, so that opt-in uh, standard is close to uh, being available. Um, it has been delayed, but will be available later this year, as far as we know currently. Uh, but what was exciting about the roadmap is that is a policy proposal that um, this will actually be rolled into the BCY building code, province-wide, requiring zero carbon buildings by 2030. That will begin to wrap up uh, by 2024 with, with carbon standards. So, so pretty significant uh, statement there. Um, in addition to that, uh, there's a new home energy labeling program at time of sale um, as well. And, and we see that happening, it's probably some kind of virtual labeling 
program, but still TBD. Um, and then uh, some language in the roadmap on materials themselves. So actually getting into the space of embodied emissions and the materials um, in our buildings. So beyond just the operational emissions of our heating systems, actually looking at the emissions of the materials themselves. Um, some emphasis on mass timber there. And recently the province released their mass timber strategy as well that's connected. Uh, on the energy side, uh, there is quite strong language around advancing clean electricity, a commitment to 100% uh, zero carbon electrical grid. Um, we're very close to that now, but uh, the commitment to, to get us all the way there. Um, and then on the other side, more requirements towards uh, on natural gas utilities to pursue renewable gas. Uh, with, with also uh, emissions cap on gas utilities um, and a PC hydrogen strategy uh, being implemented as well. Uh, and then communities, so really kind of on the ground and relevant to you folks. Um, I'm sure that the, this first bullet here around replacing CARIP is really top of mind. Um, there is a commitment to establish that new funding program and more in the budget, which I'll speak about in a minute. Uh, some language around supporting natural assets, which is critical for both adaptation and mitigation, um, and enhancing information. So, so that's information such as community energy and emissions inventories, as well as other resources for communities. So there's a lot more on the roadmap. Um, feel free to, to ask questions if, if they come up, but also uh, have a look. So on, on to the budget, clearly uh, a lot of connections to Clean BC Roadmap to 2030 in the budget. Um, it's, it's referenced multiple times. Um, and, and more information on this local government climate action program that was referenced in, in the roadmap as well. So this is a commitment of 76 million over three years, um, essentially replacing CARIP, although uh, the province is reluctant to call it a CARIP replacement as it is gonna be quite different. Um, but, but they have stated previously that it will be flexible and dependable funding, so something you don't need to apply for competitively. In total, the funding envelope is three times the size of CARIP. Uh, and uh, as far as we understand, there's, um, you know, the communities that will be seeing the biggest increases are the small ones, uh, because this is no longer going to be tied, uh, as far as we know, to the uh, carbon, the, your corporate greenhouse gas emissions footprint as CARIP was. Um, so, so what does this mean? Uh, we know this is going to be uh, you know, announced at some point uh, fairly soon. Um, oh, sure. Yeah, Alex, go ahead. No, I can just jump in after. I, I do have more information I was told yesterday to share with this group on this. So um, you keep going, Maya, because I'm not going to steal your thing. But I'll just add in anything extra at the end that I heard yesterday. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, buzz going around and, and not a lot that's that's public. But um, but yeah, there's some great uh, great news coming soon. Um, so, so what does this mean for, for communities? Um, it's good to start looking at your priorities for, like that you already have set out through your community energy emissions plans or your climate action plans. Um, so aligning how you spend that money with, with what has highest impact on your community emissions, as well as especially for the smaller ones, but not only um, really looking at ways to collaborate regionally um, and pool your the, the new funding you will be receiving together to really maximize its impact, using that as seed funding for other grants and things, um, and potentially looking at shared staff capacity, looking at what shared priorities you might have, and opportunities for collaborative implementation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Alex, um, I'm still a little reluctant to share the secrets I know, but you go ahead. Um, well, I was told I was given very specific secrets to share. Awesome. Um, so um, pretty much everything you covered, I think. Um, just also, there's going to be a very light touch on reporting. Um, it's coming out like very, very soon. So um, the idea is for all you electeds to start immediately thinking about what you want to spend it on, and then there will be a series of webinars very, very soon tell you more information about it and someone from climate action secretariat will be at the next call um next month to talk about it there as well and they'll be at the cli as well to talk about it um and i'm supposed to say that i think it's going to be really awesome and you're all going to really like it so just keep it yeah yeah i think 
this will be like quite frankly completely game-changing especially for smaller communities um like you'll funding potentially that you, you know you've never seen for for climate that you can essentially do uh with it as as you please for climate um yeah looking forward to, to kind of continual uh conversations on this once more details are announced um and actually one thing we will be putting some information out soon is a, a webinar on regional collaboration specifically like what those opportunities um could look like at, at a practical level and and hopefully that will be um you know, of interest for folks here okay so that's the biggie uh what else in the budget i'll, I'll focus here just on transportation and buildings um but do have a look um, at, at our report for some of the other measures but uh on the transportation front um again like lots of investments into the um into accelerating uh, electric mobility so uh through um, again for charging stations as well as um uh, yeah actually primarily for charging stations is, is where this sort of hits the ground for local governments um so there are opportunities to explore again regional collaborations for charging networks uh, as well as potentially consider top-ups for underserved segments so which which uh, sort of building segments might need support in in uh, in purchasing and installing EV charging uh, on the low carbon fuel standard uh, there's the, the credit system that's being expanded um, so I won't get into a lot of detail here, but essentially this is a potential new funding source for local governments if you are providing EV charging. Uh, there's a reporting process um, where you would actually be receiving credits uh, depending on the use of the charging stations. So if you have uh, one or more charging stations that you own and operate, um, it could be a good idea to ask staff to look into the low carbon fuel credit uh, opportunity. Um, and through the yeah, electric vehicle local government staff peer network that we run. Uh, there's quite a bit of conversations among staff uh, about this lately. Um, the next one is a PST exemption for used uh, zero emission vehicles, um, which which is good to help just share with your residents. Um, helps uh, reduce the cost of um, used EVs, so increasing some equ equity in access uh, to electric vehicles. Uh, and then beyond EVs, there's uh, going to be a new or expanded active transportation infrastructure grant program. Um, so lots of opportunity there to, to look at active transportation planning, what are your big gaps, um, and what would be a strategic investment in active transportation infrastructure in your community. Um, and then there's a program focused on heavy duty vehicles, and there could be an opportunity for local governments to show some leadership uh, for your own uh, own vehicles that, uh, that may be able to access that program. Uh, for buildings, there's a clean buildings tax credit, uh, which, which primarily would be uh, suitable for larger multi-unit residential buildings, and will just help uh, local governments with that sort of toughest nut to crack in terms of retrofits. Um, so, so not not directly an action to take, but but being aware of it um, as as your staff work through uh, retrofit supports. Uh, there's also uh, PST adjustments to heating equipment, which includes an exemption on heat pumps and increases in PST on fossil fuel equipment, uh, which just further improves the financial case for electrification. And then lots, uh, lots of new money to, to, to continue, as well as some new, provide new incentives through the Clean BC Better Homes and Better Buildings programs. So those are all of the different rebates available to, to home and building owners currently. Um, new stuff related to heat pumps in rural and northern regions, as well as uh, funding for um, to implement higher, the highest energy efficiency standards for space and water heating to align with the Clean BC goal that uh, all new, new and replacement equipment will have to be 100% efficient or better by 2030, uh, which is pretty uh, significant, it's essentially meaning no more gas furnaces after 2030. Um, and then I mentioned previously the energy, uh, like energy labeling at time of sale. So that's, uh, there's specific funding allocated to the development of that. 
um, and some opportunities just for local governments to provide pop-ups across various sort of incentive uh, incentives and rebates through the BC Better Homes and Better Buildings, and you can choose which what kind of rebates you top up. So maybe you just want to top up heat pumps um, or structure it for specific building segments, um, and there's uh, tools available to make that top up uh, relatively administratively simple for local governments. So that's it on the budget. I'm going to get into the big moves and the decadent action stuff now, but I just wanted to pause if there's any uh, questions or thoughts at this point. See something in the chat. Oh yes, meeting details. Yeah, looking forward to that too, Laura. Uh, not not so much question, but there's a lot to digest here. Yes. And for me, it's again to have the goal would be to get my this information to my the, the staff who can actually make uh, good sense of this information. So that's what I'm going to try to do. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah, and, and yeah, please do point your staff to the resources we've developed kind of on this, breaking it down, and happy to talk talk with anyone. Um, the key. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I, we're looking at getting a, we don't have a climate action plan for the village, or and I don't think any of the local reach uh, governments do well can correct me if he knows differently um so we're looking at getting doing that first and then prioritizing actions out of that is there any funding in here for actual climate action plans or that planning piece not directly but that's absolutely something you could use that upcoming um provincial funding for yeah awesome thank you all right i will move on um, so probably many of you have seen our kind of big moves framework. Um, so I won't go into a lot of detail here, but essentially what I want to say is, um, you know, CEA through like also our work with with multiple local governments across BC, sort of streamlined the the high level suites of actions or strategies that really have an impact on your community emissions. Uh, one thing I will say that this is based on how emissions are typically measured which is looking at your territorial emissions that really uh, don't factor in all of the life cycle and consumption-based emissions inventories. So that is a new direction that some municipal climate action is, is taking, and I'm sure we'll see more of that in the decade ahead. Um, these big moves are really focused on what is currently measurable within your community energy and emissions inventories um, and where most plans tend to, to focus. And, and they're really looking at uh, the, the sectors as well as the, the level of influence you have over emissions um, within your communities. And that's primarily in those buckets of transportation, buildings, and waste where you have the most direct and indirect influence. So there are three big moves for transportation. The first and very foundational one is shift beyond the car, which is uh, some of the land use policy decisions uh, right from the OCP level down to the, the granular uh, that will help make your communities more compact, walkable, bikeable, um, safer to get around outside of, uh, in, in ways other than vehicles, as well as collaborating with transit providers or even running your own micro transit on demand pilot like uh, you can talk to Caroline and, and Powell River on that. Um, electrify passenger transportation. This is all about supporting your residents and businesses in, in making the switch to electric vehicles uh, when right for them. Um, making that easier by just ensuring that there's accessible public charging, uh, both for your residents as well as people passing through and visitors, um, especially for you know smaller communities, tourism-based communities. There's an amazing kind of economic development driver for many of those uh, around increasing uh, EV charging, um, as well as some policy pieces around ensuring that all of the buildings being built in your community right now are future-proofed and EV-ready as, as we um, inevitably transition that way collectively. And then decarbonizing commercial transportation. This is a bit uh, tougher and more of an emerging area, but we do include it as a big move because for many communities, the commercial transportation and heavy duty vehicles are quite a large wedge in their community inventories. And so it's not too soon, even though we lack some of the, the tools at the local level to, to influence the sector, it's not too soon to start engaging major fleet owners um, and looking at uh, zoning that would enable larger vehicle charging and that kind of stuff. So, so an emerging area. And then buildings, 
divided that into two big moves, one on the new building side and one on the existing building side. Uh, for new buildings, the big move has, has been for a while now accelerating step code adoption within your community. Uh, but this is now evolving to include more of an emphasis on direct, directly regulating greenhouse gas emissions in new buildings as well. Uh, for retrofits, uh, there's um, a limited but growing suite of tools that local governments have to, to enable deep energy retrofits and fuel switching of existing buildings. Um, and we're seeing some emerging success uh, with, uh, at the, on the programmatic level for that, um, especially as local governments currently are lacking a lot of regulatory authority in this space. Um, and then on waste, the emphasis on that, that really um, impacts your, your local territorial greenhouse gas emissions is on organics diversion. If you already have an organics diversion program, that's great. There's a few more levels and steps you can take on that, looking at wood waste and deconstruction policies and things like that. Um, if you don't yet have organics collection, that is a major opportunity area at the local or regional level. So these, these big moves are, again, as I said, really focused on, on where you have the biggest authority. And as, as we talk about the specific strategies, there, we tend to talk about them uh, according to these levers that local governments have. Um, so that's actually in, installing infrastructure, um, looking at policy and regulation, and uh, engagement and collaboration and programs. OK, so what's to come ahead? Um, uh, on the transportation side, there's some evolution within those transportation big moves. Um, one of them is, is really looking at land use optimization, but acknowledging that some of this, uh, the, the land use decisions you make now might not affect your emissions until past 2030. So this is, this is really the, the long game, but, but important nevertheless. Um, there are advancements in micro e-mobility. Again, we talked about uh, some of that, that cool tech of, of e-bikes and skates and uniboards or whatever they're called, all the, the, the weird stuff we're seeing on our streets. Um, so, so as that technology becomes more available to your residents, uh, there may be some you know, infrastructure uh, changes that local governments will have to make, as well as looking at policies to ensure that 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 as those road spaces are becoming more shared with faster-paced small vehicles, uh, that 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 is still safe for everybody and accessible. Um, and then, as I mentioned, the decarbonization of commercial transportation, that is a growing area of, of focus. And as the technology pathways become more clear for that sector, as well the policy pathways for local governments. So that's something to, to be uh, watching for. Um, on the buildings side, um, we are now, again, as I mentioned, um, still, still focusing on energy efficiency. It's still important to um, make sure that our buildings are built as energy efficient as possible. Uh, but there are new policy tools for emissions. And so that's the upcoming provincial carbon pollution standard that local governments can choose to opt into. It's essentially something you would be offering or you would be requiring alongside your energy step code requirements um, so and there will be steps as part of that as well um, so lots more information to come and the first probably opportunity for you to see more details on that will be through a public review process uh, that we are expecting the province to to start later this spring or summer um, one thing to note as well this isn't on the radar is that um, the building code itself is going to 20% more energy efficient at the end of this year. Um, so, so what that typically will mean is like for your, your single family homes and townhomes that, that the building code base requirement will be step three of the energy step code. Um, so, so this is happening regardless and local governments can play a role with, with early adoption as well as industry engagement on that as well. There'll be many retraining uh, staff for the to, uh, for building inspections in that for, for places. Yeah, so the Building Official Association of BC, BOABC, will be playing a, a significant role in, uh, in disseminating that information and training with uh, the building officials, um, as well as through the, the Energy Step Code Local Government Staff Care Network that we run through CEA. That will be a, a significant uh, source of information and, and knowledge sharing. So um, yeah, do, I do encourage you if, if, to just ask or point your staff in our direction for those peer networks um, 
if, if they're not already linked in. Um, the next line here is on embodied emissions. So I mentioned the big moves are really focused on, on sort of your territorial operational emissions. So there's, there's quite a bit of emerging work on the embodied or life cycle emissions, which really look at building materials from you know, manufacturing and transporting them as well as the end of life um, decommissioning those buildings. Um, so one of the things uh, we're working on at CEA on this is a, a collaborative project with uh, Squamish, Whistler and Squamish Nation, looking at policy tools for local governments uh, on embodied emissions in the building sector. So we'll be providing um, some, some tools and policy guidance on that. Um, it's a very collaborative project with also pulling in an advisory committee from the city of Vancouver and the province who are also doing a lot of work in this space. Um, and one thing that probably will start happening mid-decade is, is a shift towards consumption-based inventories uh, for local governments as well that will start to actually measure the, the, these types of emissions. Okay, that next line, unprecedented retrofits through concierge programs. This is a very exciting space. Um, as I mentioned, local governments have, have relatively few regulatory levers to, to enable retrofits currently. There's a lot of work uh, on what, what kind of regulation would, would work. Um, some leadership happening from Metro Vancouver and City of Vancouver where they do have authority on regulation. Um, so we'll be watching for that. But, but regulation sort of isn't available yet for everybody. But what we are seeing is an important local government role through uh, collaborative programming for retrofits, um, information sharing, hand-holding for building owners as they do this, um, and, and the model that's, that's really being tested and proven is this concierge model of this one-stop shop uh, where a building owner you know, calls a number and gets full supports through all the retrofits, through the energy assessments, through contractor selection and accessing rebates. Um, so a lot of scaling happening there. Um, and then building performance standards, that is that regulation piece uh, that I just mentioned that Metro Vancouver and Vancouver are currently undertaking and, and possibly will be an area of advocacy that local governments can take towards with, uh, with the province. Um, the Help Cities Lead campaign, which Climate Caucus is running, is, is really, um, this is kind of one of the areas I think where, where that, uh, the asks for, uh, towards the province can, can start to focus is to um, enable local governments to set building performance standards, require things like energy benchmarking for large buildings and that kind of thing. Um, and then lastly, uh, there's going to be some, some more cool tech to watch for that, that will enable more buildings and transportation integration. So things like using the, 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 your electric vehicle battery as a backup generator for your home during a power outage and using it to, to essentially as, um, uh, as your energy source during peak uh, like electricity pricing periods if we do move to a time of use electricity rate and things like that. So lots happening kind of in this space on the technology and policy side, and, and there may be um, implications on local government um, building bylaws and things like that um, as, as that becomes more clear. It may, if I may, the, uh, in, in terms of uh, charging back into buildings, I'm into that kind of building. It seems like there's a huge opportunity here for this to sell uh, the uh, charging stations on, on that uh, to uh, uh, the residents so i think that's a really good thing thanks yeah major sort of resiliency layer there um and then lastly on on the waste side advancements in circularity uh, the clean bc uh roadmap and the budget uh, do have some commitments around circular economy um and, and what that looks like for local governments is is looking at um resource recovery through your infrastructure as well as things like deconstruction policies um, and other sort of waste diversion uh, policies and programs. So I know that was a lot on this one slide. Um, are there any questions at this point? I just have a, I just have a comment about the circularity. So I was in this CIBC sponsored circularity thing. So that was like really interesting to me because I always like try to figure out where like who's setting the agenda, right? And like having a bank talk about circular economies, it was like 
it was sort of like, oh, wow, I don't have to preach to the choir anymore because now they're preaching to me. So that was like some sort of golden hope or something. Yeah, yeah it's becoming more commonplace yeah, and mainstream to be, to be using that kind of language and, and yeah. outlook, for sure. Yeah. Um, on the circularity piece, uh, there's a slightly now dated CEA resource that we are updating called Closing the Loop. It's at closingtheloop.ca. Um, and it's uh, basically all about resource recovery within local government infrastructure. Um, so check it out, but maybe check it out like in a month. <laughs> uh, we'll be updating it to be a little more current with um, with CleanBC and such. Um, okay, so just kind of a few final thoughts before we get into some more discussion. So some general themes uh, to to highlight here, uh, really important um, more than ever to look at regional collaboration and sounding like a broken record on that now, um, but that is is really the way to maximize uh, your, your funding contributions to climate action as well as share resources, especially in regions that you, know, you don't have a lot of dedicated climate action staff, if any. Um, so, so major opportunity there, especially as you'll be seeing some additional funding. Uh, agile management, I think we learned a lot during the pandemic, kind of at all levels of government and, and in other sectors around just kind of adapting quickly as things change and new information comes out. And um, we'll, we'll be seeing that in the climate action space, we already are, uh, where, you know, can't plan our way out of this. We have to also just get doing, and it's important to have plans that point us in the right direction. Uh, but but less of a need to kind of really go, like, you know, so deep on on the planning side. Um, you know, to uh, to a point. Like again, it is important to do, um, but but just get doing. Um, evolve as you learn. Uh, learn from each other. That's where the the staff level peer networks again come into play as well as groups like this one and, and BCMCLC um, and move quickly. Um, so part of that is being ready for grants. Uh, like as I'm sure you all have experienced, sometimes grant windows from the province or feds are, are quite short. So already having sort of some, some ideas for those as well as uh, you know, some seed funding ready to go. Um, again, that, that new provincial grant will help with that. Uh, will really help you take advantage of those short windows. Eyes on the prize, so really focusing on where there's uh, deep emission reduction potential. That does mean you might not be able to do it all, um, and there are certain things that you will be asked for from your communities to really focus on that maybe don't have that biggest emissions reduction uh, opportunity. That's not necessarily then a, a you know, bad idea to do it, but really thinking about, you know, if you have limited resources, where do you put that, uh, mm -hmm. that focus? And how do you communicate uh, the need uh, to your communities to focus on those specific opportunities that, that enable deep emissions reductions? So that's where that last point comes in around simplifying the message, clear communications, uh, really engaging the public meaningfully um, and, and communicating to them their role in, in moving community climate action forward. Uh, so again, a little bit of a dense slide here, and this is sort of my, my summary. So um, setting up for success, um, looking at ensuring your uh, climate action is well resourced. And again, that can happen through collaboration. You don't have to have your own staff person, but if you can have it at the regional district level and it's shared, um, that could be a really excellent um, sort of use of, of funding. Confirming your priorities um, as you prepare for, for some new funding potentially. So again, having a, a, a looking back at your plan or updating your plan uh, will be key. Uh, but again, I'll stress, uh, don't make it this, don't make the whole thing about a planning exercise, but, but really looking at um, implementation. Um, and then plan for action. So, so looking at your priority uh, programs and infrastructure, looking at your specific active transportation infrastructure gaps, for example, um, looking at some of the emerging strategies that we mentioned around embodied emissions and circular economy, um, and then some of these other kind of next moves uh, that I talked about regarding retrofits um, that, that will be upcoming. Um, there may be a need for your staff uh, 
we're hiring consultants to look to update emissions projections, just given some of the updated provincial policy uh, uh, policy directions that we've heard. Um, if, if you really want to understand kind of how the provincial layer um, trickles down to the community level, um, but we are hopeful that there'll be more supports from the province on this with updated data. And then future proofing. Uh, there's a lot happening right now at the utility planning level uh, with, with the BC Utilities Commission, with both Fortis and BC Hydro uh, currently having proceedings that will quite uh, likely greatly impact uh, the future of our energy system here in BC. So I won't go into a lot of detail on that, but um, again, something to essentially point staff towards uh, to, to just watch out for. Um, and then I, even though I mentioned don't focus too much on planning, um, if you are going into planning or updating, um, looking at something that's quite integrated, that, that ties in low carbon resilience, essentially consumption-based inventories and actions um, and embodied emissions, and, and potentially doing that at a regional level. And then a little further down the line, uh, you know, we might not be able to get all the way there with these big moves and next moves, um, especially as we look towards 2050. So um, looking at the role of sequestration um, and offset strategies potentially as well. Yeah, Can I yeah. just ask a question about the sequestration? So is that like carbon sinks like living like trees or is that like the sort of uh, embodied carbon where they're talking about like locking it into the concrete and those sort of things where it's like more of a a mechanical process. Um, yeah, I think it will be probably both, um, but, the, but the natural assets layer of that I think is really interesting, yeah. you know, especially for um, like some communities like Yarosera, where like you do have lots of forests, like what, you know, what could you do there? And, and potentially there are, you know, there could be opportunities even for like urban communities to essentially see rural forest-based communities as, as like carbon sinks and have like financial contributions towards that. So that could be an interesting direction. <laughs> All of this very much emerging. Um, okay, so that's all of my dense content. Now onto some of the fun upcoming stuff. I know we just have a few minutes, so maybe I'll zip through this. Um, so BC Climate Leaders, we have the playbook, we have coaching, and we have the institute. And all of that is described at bcclimateleaders.ca. Um, the one I really want to focus on is the Institute, um, but, but do check out the Climate Leaders Playbook. It has more on the big moves. Uh, we're doing a bunch of updating to that right now, um, and we'll be sort of doing a relaunch uh, right around CLI. Um, so I'll, I'll make sure to share that through Alex and this group. Uh, coaching, we've been working with Andrea Reimer, uh, former Vancouver City Councillor, mm -hmm. who's like kind of our, uh, our advisor on some of this stuff. So she's been offering one-on-one kind of -on -one coaching with elected officials, and we're going to be expanding that uh, in the next term. Um, so watch for kind of the next intake of that. We'll be doing more one-on-one -on -one and small group coaching. Um, focus less so on the technical side, because you can always call us for that, and more on kind of like the like how do you work as the only climate champion on your council and like how do you manage all of your priorities and even things like how do you manage your social media uh, <laughs> platform and things like, things like that um, some of those sort of practical layers okay but cli super exciting for me upcoming in early june june 8th to 10th uh, we're partnering with the UBC Sustainability Hub there, and they're hosting us in the beautiful SIRS building, the Center for Interactive Research on Sustainability. Um, there are some accommodation options on campus. Um, and so if you check out bcclimateleaders.ca slash CLI, uh, there will be uh, some more information uh, on that. Um, so it's, it's three days, but sort of two and a half days uh, of, of programming. And, and we've done CLI now twice in 2017 and 2019. We're all hungry to come together in person. Um, and, and we're trying to uh, focus the program a lot on just time to talk with each other. Um, so yeah, there will be speakers, um, but this isn't sort of a speaker-centered event. It's a very you-centered event. Um, what we're the way the program is kind of shaping up is we'll have uh, day one focused on the, setting the vision and, uh, of like where we want to get to by 2050 and beyond just the numbers, like what do our communities really look like? Um, how do we make that vision equitable um, and, and, and resonate with, with everyone in our communities? 
day two is is more on the decade of action so if you're interested in kind of some of the actual practical solutions that, that um, and local government strategies that i mentioned today and the emerging stuff day two will be kind of entirely going deep on those in, in small group um, conversations uh, climate action secretariat staff will be there as well to talk about the funding program and how that kind of can relate to, to the big moves in the decade ahead um, and, and we'll be kind of getting into um, some, some case studies um, both kind of at the sectoral so like buildings level but also opportunities to chat in small groups with folks from communities uh, that are similar to yours uh, and then day three is all about the, the now getting to implementation um, so you'll notice we're going from from more distant in the future kind of dialing it in to, to the here and now um, looking at a heavy emphasis on communicating both the vision as well as the, the solutions um, gaining support kind of across the council table as well as in the community uh, very relevant not just for kind of your longer term climate action but even as you're getting into uh, election and your campaigning um, around climate communications and storytelling um, and then what we'd really love to do on day three is just have a big empty block where people can propose things to talk about and, and connect with each other in other meaningful ways Nora Nora I see Nora, I see you have a question or a comment. Um, yeah, I do have a question. Is this only for elected people or would this be for staff as well? It is for elected people. We can make exceptions. Um, we would like if, if staff are coming, I think it would be most suitable to folks kind of at the senior manager level, uh, CAOs, that kind of role. Um, not as much the kind of practitioner level because there's a lot for them already. Um, this is meant to kind of, um, to, to sort of be more at that sort of higher level policy uh, uh, decision and what, about, and what about people who are thinking of running for office but who are not actually elected yet? That's a great question. We've, we've kind of battled with that a little bit. We, we would love to open it up to them. Uh, but we also really want to make sure this is a space where current electeds um, can just connect with each other on on this and we do worry that opening it up too much um they'll just need more background and context in order to kind of participate meaningfully uh but my mind can be changed on that and i think we can make some exceptions we'll also sort of see um how we do with registration like we we do have it's, it's a fairly intimate setting on purpose um you know the room that we're in primarily isn't huge we're sort of hoping to cap it at like 50 um but if we don't get that much interest from electives then we might open it up at that point okay thanks how much is that just to budget it's pretty highly subsidized i think we landed on 175 200 bucks or something for three days i should know this it's a team effort. <laughs> the accommodations were really reasonable too. I don't recall the exact figure, but they were close by and really affordable. So. Yeah, and we'll be doing some fun social stuff as well, kind of in the day one and two evenings. Um, day one, we'll, we'll collaborate with the UBC Climate Hubs, so that's the student group. So we're working with the Sustainability Hub, which is like the official UBC Sustainability Office for the venue and stuff. And then the Climate Hub is the student-run center, and they're actually going to host us um, on, hopefully, on their the AMS rooftop patio for like an amazing happy hour and open it up to like potentially like 100 plus students to mingle in and we'll do some fun stuff with them too. So lots more to come here. I'm, I'm pretty excited. I'm excited about the UBC partnership. Um, although I do acknowledge it's like a little less convenient to get to than, you know, downtown Vancouver. Um, but I think it's, it's worthwhile in this case. Okay. Jen. Yeah, I'm this sorry. I was on another long call and I'm just hey. doing, so when is this? Just June 8th to 10th. Okay. Um, and you said it's out at UBC? Yeah. Okay. Um, I live out at That's UBC. That's your area. So if anyone was interested in, in coming and, and sort of, uh, I don't know, we could see about, I live in a tiny condo, but um, and all of us do out here, but I'm happy to collaborate with people on, uh, on options for places to stay as well. Yay! All right. Um, 
there's some stuff in the chat. Um, oh, yeah, Ben, I'll, I'll connect with you after. Um, so just kind of in the last couple minutes here, so there's a couple pieces of input I would love from you. And perhaps just since we're short on time, you can also just get in touch if you have ideas. But first of all, on that day three of CLI, um, as I said, we, we were looking at kind of a more open, open space type format. Um, with some options as well as just opportunities to connect in small groups and head off to one of the many pubs on, on a particular theme or um, you know there, there's lots of things that we're thinking about here um, including throughout CLI kind of trying to capture opportunities for peer-to-peer -peer matching like if you're you're interested in X and someone else has done it we'll, we'll try to figure out a format to, to match folks with each other on that um, anyway I would love to hear some if there's specific needs you want I would love for you to consider that to also be an opportunity for Climate Caucus BC chapter to come together in a, in a formal way. Um, so there's that. And then the other piece is sort of the evolution of BC climate leaders programming after the election. Uh, we're looking at formalizing some regional clusters, sort of aligning with the local government associations and, and how do we kind of support more of that regional collaboration at the elected level. We're, doing the same at the staff level as well that we're working out uh, some pro programming there uh, we're also looking at expansion expanding the coaching offer um, after the election and actually running it kind of on this four-year uh, cycle that that changes as your priorities kind of during your term change as well with different offers for returning or newly elected folks and then playbook expansion so um again welcome any thoughts needs feedback on all of these either now or uh after on a phone call or email this is how you get in touch with me and i'll share the slides not seeing anything right now but um fantastic you're sharing the slides and we can all just get back you after having a few minutes to think there's uh, I think there's a lot that can be done with those uh, those open blocks of time on the third days it's a really interesting resource and happy uh, sir well, could you could yeah, you remind me where we uh, where we get the uh, uh we can download this from for for all us members here who are on top of this but maybe not as much as we'd like where will we find this uh, on to download Like the presentation that Maya just gave, fine. Yeah. I think Maya's going to email them to us if she hasn't already, and we'll send those out shortly. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah, and thanks for sharing the slides, Maya. That would be useful. Keep safe. So, we'll end up recording the entire thing because we ask questions all the way through. So, um, <laughs> any last questions? We have like a minute or two. Recording left. stopped. <laughs> Nora. Yeah, I do have a quick question, but I'm going back now to the sort of substantive stuff you talked about earlier. Um, specifically in my community, what we need to do is 